Well, I want to start this morning, I want you to watch a video of a guy uh, who is looking for the Loch Ness Monster. He's got a pretty interesting story. People have sought its secrets for over 1,500 years, but only one man has devoted his entire life to learning the truth, alone in a van by the lock. And no, he's not a wacko. It's just his thing. My name's Steve Feltham, and for the last 25 years, I've been a full-time hunter of the Loch Ness Monster. I first came to Loch Ness when I was a seven-year-old boy and found this set of caravans with this gang of grown men hunting for monsters in Loch Ness. And I thought, that's amazing. That would be the life for me. I'd love to do that. And so he did. 25 years ago, he quit his job, sold his house, bought this van and pursued his passion. He now holds the Guinness record for the longest continuous search at Loch Ness. In all my time here, I've only seen one possible sighting of something. All you saw was a spray of water off of the back of something. Boff, 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 boff. Like a torpedo going, shooting through. To this day, that remains a mystery to me as to what that was. That was in the first year of being here, and I thought, right, this job's going to be really easy. That's one sighting. 25 years later, I'm still sat here waiting for that second sighting. Some people think it's giant eels. Some people think there's a rip in time. Others believe there's a spaceship on the bottom of the loch. It's more likely to turn out to be big catfish than a spaceship on the bottom of the loch. The reason I sit here and I try and solve this mystery is because that's what makes my heart sing. People say, is it lifestyle or is it the mystery? It's both. My life contains freedom, adventure, unpredictability, and the chance of one of the world's greatest discoveries should I ever happen to find Nessie. It's a dream come true. If that little seven-year-old boy could see what became of him, he wouldn't believe his luck. I mean, after watching the video, I, I feel much better that he's not crazy, right? I mean, like, he, he says, I've only seen one possible thing, and I may not see others. It's more likely a catfish than a spaceship. So I hear that story, and I go, okay, the guy's not as crazy as it first sounds. But if you told someone that there's a guy that has spent 25 years living in a van down by the lock, looking for a mythical creature that no one has ever seen, they would probably say to us that that is a good definition of having faith in something, right? That, that, that it is out there and I'm going to find it. Well, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and you can go there and look if you want, it gives us, the New Testament gives us this verse that gives us a great definition of what faith is. And the writer of Hebrews says that Faith is the assurance of things unseen. It's the, uh, the assurance of things unknown. It's the conviction of things unseen. And that, that's a great definition. That, outside of even a, a biblical definition, if you were trying to define what faith is, that's a great definition. 
the assurance of, of what we don't know, a conviction of things that we can't see. But if you think about that, it's kind of contradictory. I, I am sure of, absolutely assured, and I know this thing that I don't know. And you, well, that, that doesn't really make sense. That's what faith is. It's this conviction in something that I don't have ultimate proof in, but I still believe in it. I'm still going to act on it. Let me give you a, a tangible example. Now, I love mixed martial arts. I love, I watch UFC. I watch Bellator. That's what I do when I, on, on the treadmill every day is I, I watch fights. I record them and, and kind of watch them one or two or three at a time. So if we got to um, sign a contract where I was going to get into the ring with Daniel Cormier, now, Daniel Cormier is the light heavyweight champion of the world, and the reason why I chose him is because the light heavyweight champion weighs in at 205 pounds, and if I got into the UFC today, unfortunately, that's, that's the division I would be in. So this is the guy that, that is the best fighter in the world at my weight class. He's 19 and one. In his 19 wins, four of those wins have come against former champions, I mean, he's, he's an incredible fighter. I believe he was an Olympic wrestler, and if he wasn't Olympics, I know he was NCAA wrestling and made it up to the championships. I mean, he was a well-known collegiate wrestler. Now, if I said, hey, I'm going to get into the ring with Daniel Cormier, and, and, I, and I even said, hey, we're going to take six months for me to train. All right, I'm going to train for six months. I'm going to go to camp. He's going to go to his camp. We're going to prepare for the fight. And somebody said, Daniel Cormier is going to win that fight, you would agree with that. You would be assured of something that you really don't know. I mean, they say there's, you know, everybody's got a puncher's chance. There, there's a chance that when, after six months, when that bell rang and he started moving towards me and I fell into the fetal position and peed in my spandex, that he would slip on the urine and fall and knock himself out and I'd win the fight. I mean, the chance is so remote and so minutely small that you would not have a problem with faith of going, I am absolutely 100% sure that Daniel Cormier will win this fight, and there's a 75% chance that he may kill Brett. That, you, know, there, you, you would have that faith. When we're talking about things that have high evidence, this faith is easy. When we're talking about things where um, the stakes aren't high for us, Faith is easy. There's some of us that are, maybe you're a Dallas Cowboy fan like I am, and, and you come into this, this new football year, and, and you're thinking, I've got faith. This, this is the year the Cowboys are going to win it all. This is going to be it. I, I have faith in that. We can have faith in that because the stakes are low, and so our faith can be high. And we've got some evidences. They did pretty well last year. They've got a young team. High evidences, low stakes, my faith soars. I can believe that the Cowboys are going to win. I can believe the Longhorns are going to win four games this year. I have faith because of those things around me. But when the stakes raise, all of a sudden the evidences matter more and faith becomes more difficult. Having an assurance or a conviction of something that I really don't know. For example, skydiving. If you... If you told me, hey, we, we want to buy you a, a, a skydiving experience, we're going to take you down to San Marcos or Temple, and we're gonna, you're going to go through the short training thing, we're going to put you on a plane, and we're going to take you up, and you're going to jump out and experience free fall and pull that parachute and do something that is, will, will change your life. My response to you is going to be, no, thank you. 
And the, the evidences are, are, are fairly high. I mean, I know that insurance companies would not cover these, these companies if the statistics didn't say that the likelihood that I land on my feet and survive are high. I know that, that the government wouldn't allow people to jump out of planes and, and pay for it unless the statistics said that it was highly likely that, that you're going to have a great experience and survive. So the stakes, the, the evidence is there, but the stakes are also higher because we're talking about now my life, which is another reason why I would have never gotten into the ring with Daniel Cormier in the first place. But now that the stakes have raised, now faith, faith matters a lot more. And do I have, do I have faith that some guy in a back room who folded up a parachute, put it into a bag, a guy that I've never met, that I know nothing about, has given me something that's going to work, and the only way that I can test it to see that if it works is while I've reached terminal velocity hurtling towards the earth. That's when I get to test it. That's why I go, no thanks. I mean, the, the evidences are there, but the stakes are so high that I just don't have faith in that. I don't have a conviction of something that I can't see when it comes to something like that. Does that make sense? And so, so faith is this, this difficult thing, but what we know because of the research, and somehow or another we got moved over to relationships. I don't know how that happened because that's not what we're talking about this week. When it comes to spiritual maturity, faith is, is, is key to our, to our spiritual growth. We've got to have it. Now, we would say that we want to be people of faith. I mean, if, if I took a poll, if I even let you anonymously put it in, hey, do you want to be a person of faith? We would say yes, but you know what? That is not true whatsoever. We want to be people of evidences. We, we want to be people of facts. And, and I can give you an example of that. Let's say you sense God calling you or, or, or a child, something like that, to go on a, a summer-long mission trip someplace. And, and you look at the price tag for what that mission trip costs, and you go, man, that is, that is really, really high. You know, I, don't, I don't think we can do that. We're, we're going to have to say no to that. But as you're doing that, you, you just sense the Holy Spirit of God saying, hey, step out in faith. This is for you. I've called you to this. So you go to, you go to step two, and you start asking some other people, some people of wisdom, some people that have been on those trips before, and they go, hey, what do you, what do you think? And they go, hey, we know. We were in the same spot you were. We, we remember looking at the price tag and looking at our budget and going, there's no way this could, this could happen. Uh, but the Lord provided. And they say to you, if God's called you to do it, have faith and step out and do it. And you keep looking and you keep looking. And there's this several thousand dollar price tag. And here's the budget. You feel God calling. People have said go. You heard a message maybe about uh, missions or serving and your heart quickened to it. But at the end of the day, most of the time, we pass. And we say we want to be people of faith, but we really want to be people of proof. Because if we rewound that scenario to the very beginning, and you said, hey, I feel God calling me to the mission trip, here's what it costs, and then somebody sat down with you and said, here, let me line you out. Here's how you're going to get this money. It's a proven system. If you do this, this, and this, and this, you will get the money. We've done it. It's worked 100% of the time, and we have all of the people to say to do it. If we had the proof, we would have never even gone to step two to ask somebody about it. We went, okay, I'm in. We say we want to be people of faith, but we really want to be people of proof. We, we want to know because if the stakes get high, our faith begins to waver. When the stakes are low, it's easy. I mean, if somebody, if you're, you're, you're praying through 
staying at the job you are in now or moving to a new job in town where you don't have to move your kids from a school and you get a 15% pay raise, that, that's, that's not really a big leap of faith for you. But if you're praying about the job you have and God calling you to a job that's a 20% pay cut, all of a sudden the stakes are raised and our faith begins to, to matter. What we know is this. Spiritually mature people, the research shows, spiritually mature people live by faith even when the answers are unclear for them. And so we've gone through seven different characteristics so far in this series of people who are spiritually mature, what characteristics they have. And one of them is this. Spiritually mature people are the ones who live by faith. They don't speak by faith. They take steps. Their life is oriented. There is action that moves them towards faith. And faith is always going to be difficult because it's a conviction in something that you can't prove. And at the end of the day, we want all of the evidences. We want it all clear. If you've got a, a junior or senior in college, that's the stress of your life that you're living in, most likely. Because your junior or senior in high school, I said college, I meant high school. In high school, is they're looking towards college. You, you know what they want, right? They want the entire path lined out for them. I'm gonna go to this college, I'm gonna get this degree, and I'm gonna do it in four years, and I'm gonna meet the, the guy, the girl at my junior year, and then we're gonna date, and we're gonna get engaged, right, as our senior year comes to a close, and then we're gonna get this job, and we're gonna get married, and we're gonna have 2.5 kids, and a house with a white picket fence, and it's gonna be glorious. And, and, and if anything starts to waver with that, where they have to actually take a step and go to a college or, or, or take a career that seems a little bit risky and not planned out, that, that, that's a faith-based decision, all of a sudden they're like stressed out and you're stressed out and they're talking to mentors and you're doing extra research because you're trying to find the evidences to make the faith not as great of a leap, which is a good thing. We'll talk about that. We, we do it all the time, every day. We take steps of faith. But spiritually mature people take spiritual steps of faith every day, and they live their life by it. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to read the story, part of the story of a guy named Abraham. As you're flipping there, let me kind of get you up to speed on Abraham's life. Abraham had some moments in, uh, in his life where his faith wavered, and he made some decisions that were not, not faith-based decisions. But we also see some things in Abraham's life that can encourage us into to, to stepping out and living in faith. When Abraham, at the time his name was Abram, was 75 years old. I mean, he wouldn't even been in this room. He's older than all of us in here. He's 75 years old. He, he's living on family land with his uh, children and his grandchildren and, and his aunts and uncles and his parents. And, and, and everybody lives together. He's had a good life. At 75, God shows up. And we don't even really have any biblical history of of God moving into Abraham's life slowly, we just all of a sudden, it says God spoke to Abram and he said, get up and move to the land that I'm gonna show you. At 75 years old, and when it was well past time to be loading up donkeys and packing up tents and making the move, Abram is, con is confronted with the voice of God, the call of God to leave everything that was comfortable, to leave his family, to leave everything that he'd known for seven and a half decades and move to what the scripture says is a place that I'll show you. Now, I don't know. I mean, God, 
might have, because we don't even know how God called Abram, if he just spoke audibly or what. Scripture doesn't clearly state that. So I'm going to assume that he spoke audibly to him. Scripture doesn't say that God went to Abram and said, now here, you're going to move to a place to land that I'll show you. Now here's what it's like. Here's an eight-page full-color like brochure for the land. It's, look, there's a there's lakefront property, and you can put some crops over here, and, and uh, this, this, this is how you can travel back to see your family, so you can go to and from during the holidays. We don't get any evidence that God said that at all. All we get the evidence of is that God said to Abram, at 75 years old, you're going to move, and he does. And then at 99 years old, God says to Abraham and his wife. First, he changed his name from Abram, which means father of many, to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. He says, I'm changing your name because you're not just going to be a father to many. You're going to be a father to multitudes, way more than many. The problem was at 99 years old, Abraham had one child. He was an illegitimate child named Ishmael that was not even a part of the promise or not a part of the future plans. And at 99 years old, they have He and Sarah have their first child, Isaac, whose name means laughter because when God said to Sarah at 90 years old, you're gonna get pregnant and have a baby, she laughed. And God said, well, you're gonna remember this moment always because that's what I'm gonna call your child. And so at 99 years old, he has this son. So we see Abraham's life has had some faith. At 75, leave everything you have and go to the unknown, and he does. At 99, hey, you're, gonna, you're not going to be the father of many. You're going to be the father of multitudes, and you're going to have a child. And you surely Abraham raised his hand and went, Lord, there's a series coming called Purple. It's about sex. I'm not sure you understand how this works. I'm 99 years old. Uh, you should go to that. I, I can't have it. We're not going to have children now. But, but, he, but he lives his life in faith, and he has a child, Isaac. And we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 22. It says this, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What? Can we... Can we rewind for a second? God, you changed my name from father of many to father of multitudes. And then you did this miracle. And at 99, you gave me a child, which I'm going to assume is going to to be the one who who the multitudes come from. And you want me to go sacrifice him on a mountain? Now for us, the, the idea of child sacrifice is odd. For Abraham, that would not have been odd because of the people living in the lands all around him at that time of history, human sacrifice was something that was done, and it was done often to the false gods that they worship. So this wouldn't have been like a a mind blower to Abraham just by looking at his culture, but it would be a a, a giant question mark. God, how, how are we going to do this? How am I going to be the father of multitudes if the one child that I have is the one that you're now going to call? So I'm going to have another child at 100, 100 well, well, Isaac's much older than that. At 120, I, I, don't, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Now, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I think maybe in what God said to Abraham, there might have been a sense of peace in that, that God used a word when he said, go up to that mountain. He, he used a word that's translated literally. It, it would mean to get yourself gone. It's the exact same word God used when he called Abram to leave his homeland and to go into the promised land. 
So maybe, maybe when God said to Abraham, get yourself gone to that mountain, that, that he went, well, I trusted you then, and I'll trust you now. I don't know. Even still, this is a huge step of faith. Abraham had a lot of unknown, but it wasn't on Abraham to know. It was on Abraham to obey, because that's where faith comes in. Faith is obeying when we don't know. Look in verse 3. I think this is absolutely telling about Abraham's life. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Did you catch in verse three when he went? Early the next morning. I mean, there's faith. Let's be honest, like, like you and I, if God had called us to do something like that, we'd have went, well, God didn't say when. He just said, go, sacrifice my son. So I'm gonna give it a week or two to see what kind of you know, plays out, see what God, God might change his mind. God might come back and go, oh, never mind about that. So I'm not gonna go right away. Or I'm gonna wait I'm gonna wait until God says it again. I'm gonna wait until until God sends someone to me to say, hey, didn't God say, oh, there's my sign? But Abraham, in faith, because God has spoken, and even though he doesn't understand it, and even though it doesn't make sense, early the next morning, not at lunch, not at dinner, at the crack of dawn, he gets up and heads out taking steps of faith towards what God has called him to do. This is a picture of what it means to be spiritually mature. Look in verse four. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. Look at this, because this is a faith perspective. And come again to you. I and the boy are gonna go worship and we will come again to you. Hebrews 11, when we look at this, what we call that hall of faith chapter where the writer of Hebrews lists out all of these great men and women of faith in the Old Testament, it came after this Hebrews 11.1 definition of faith. In that, it says, that, that writer says, Abraham was, was assured, he knew that God could raise Isaac from the dead. That's the kind of faith that Abraham had. God, you've called me to do it. You gave me one son. You, you said I'm gonna be the father of multitudes. I know that if I kill my son, this doesn't make sense, but I also know that you're a powerful enough God, you can raise my son back from the dead if you wanna accomplish your purposes that way. That, that is faith in the things that are unknown. And so he says in, in, in verse three, um, or I'm sorry, in verse five, he says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Look in verse six, what happens next? And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took, his hand, and took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father? And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said faithfully, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, probably with tears in his eyes and weeping in his voice, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, 
your only son from me. God said, now I know. Now here's the truth. God knew Abraham's heart from the very beginning. God knew what type of man Abraham was. That's why God chose him to be the father of Israel. But that word, when God says, now you know, is a Hebrew word that means now we know experientially. We've now done this together. Abraham, I knew who you were, and I knew what you would do. And as an omniscient God, I knew how all this played out, but now together you and I know experientially what it means to live in faith. Because you went to the ultimate end. You took the promise that I had given, which you didn't understand. And when I said sacrifice him, you had the knife raised up. And I knew that if I did not call out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, how this would end. And Abraham, now I know, and now you know experientially what it means to live faithfully. When the answers are unclear. And then verse 13, it says this. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh. And it is, is, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. If we walk in those shoes, I dare say that there's not one of us in the room that would live a faith-based life like that. And yet, that's what we're called to do. That's the picture that we're given because spiritually mature people live their life by faith even when the answers are unclear. That doesn't mean blind faith. It doesn't mean that we, we don't look for the evidences. But what it means is when the evidences are there that God has clearly spoken, that even when it doesn't make sense or we don't know what to do with that, we make a move and we, we live by faith. It's a part of spiritual maturity. And if we are going to kind of take the position that says, I will only move when I have all of the answers, we will never move into spiritual maturity because faith is, is a part of life. It's something that, that we have to do. So, so the question is, how strong is your faith? What's the next step for you to grow in faith? I want to give you two thoughts. And maybe there's something already that God's already like spoken to you that you need to do. Or as you talk with your kids this week uh, through this idea of faith, maybe some things come crystal clear and you need to do, do those things. But let me give you some things maybe just to, to get the blood pumping to the brain to think maybe, God, this is what it is. Here, here's one thing is understand this, that, that we've got to exercise faith. Faith, faith is like a muscle. Um, the more you work out, the stronger you get. I don't know if you've seen this thing. It's gone viral on Facebook some. Uh, 22 push-ups for 22 days for veterans. Any of y'all seen that? My wife, is, my wife just completed it. So what happened is somebody got on and they started, they did 22 push-ups every day for 22 days, post the video on Facebook to raise awareness that 22 veterans commit suicide every day. My father-in-law is a veteran. My dad is a veteran. I grew up as an army brat. I love veterans. My wife was doing it every day, 22 days. Very cool. The last day, she had to work in Colleen and drove by the Veterans Cemetery. So she stopped and did her last 22 in front of the Veterans Cemetery to raise awareness. Through all of that, my father-in-law was doing them. My nephew was doing them. My brother-in-law was doing them. That's how Amanda got tagged. I knew it was coming. 
I got tag. Problem is, I can't do 22 push-ups. So I did one and videotaped it and looped it 21 times. And I figured people pay $10 to see Avengers special effects. This was good enough for everybody else. But probably, it wasn't, that I, wasn't that I don't believe in veterans. It doesn't believe, mean that I don't want to raise awareness that, that we want to come along and support the men and women who defended our country. I just literally can't do 22 push-ups. In order for me to do 22 push-ups, I'm going to have to start with the, the three or four that I can do and then work those muscles up to six or seven and then work those same muscles up to 10 or 12. That, that's how you get to do 22 push-ups is you work that muscle that's small over and over and it's the same thing with faith. So if you want to live by faith, you want to be spiritually mature, you've got to take that faith muscle that may have atrophied, that may not be strong and start, start taking some small steps and you're going to have small steps all week long. There's going to be an offering plate that gets passed in front of a worship service. Every time one of those passes, there's a a faith opportunity. There's going to be some time this week where you see somebody at at work that the Holy Spirit's going to nudge you to invite them to church, to share your story with them, to ask some spiritual questions, and you're going to have an opportunity to grow that faith muscle to to step out and do it. Probably going to have an opportunity this week where somebody says something about you behind your back, or you hear and you, you feel compelled to say something to a group of people about them because you want to, you want to make sure that everyone knows that what they said is not true and that, that their credibility is in question. And if you only knew what I knew about them and you have this opportunity to defend yourself, and the Spirit of God's going to go, don't. And you're, you're going to have a chance to take faith in giving and faith in inviting or sharing, faith in not defending yourself. And you're going to have to trust God with your finances. You're going to trust God that you're going to be okay through the rejection if they say they don't want to come to church with you, they don't want to hear your story. You have to trust God with your reputation. But when you do those small things and God shows up and you realize that I invited and even though they said no, life didn't end. And I didn't defend myself. I let God defend myself and everything worked out. All of a sudden, that faith muscle begins to grow that, that God is going to show up. And when God says something that I don't know, that's unclear, that I can have assurance, I have conviction that it's going to end the way that he says it's going to end. And you know what happens? I'll tell you so you know, because it's true. As your faith muscle gets stronger, you're going to get stronger faith tests. Because it's, after, after you've done 22 push-ups, you keep growing so you can do 50 and you get bigger and bigger experiences with the Lord that help you step out in faith. But you gotta take the small one. So this week, be looking. Where are some things that make me uncomfortable? What's some things that God's called me to do that I know are right, that normally I say no to because of fear, because I just don't know, I don't have all the evidences, but I'm gonna say yes this time and strengthen that muscle. Here's the second thing you can do. And this, this will make you feel a little more comfortable. Look for the evidences. We're not talking about blind faith. I mean, for Abraham, maybe that's what at the very beginning, to me, that'd be kind of scary, you know, because there's no evidence that God and Abraham had any history when God said to move. But I'm guessing that when God revealed himself and said, get up and move from the land, that God did it in a way that, mo- that, that Abraham went, all right, I'm in, you know, audibly. I, I don't know how God did it, but there was probably enough evidence that Abraham went, okay, I'm going to follow this supernatural experience. But we, we, we start looking for the evidences. Evidences are okay. You don't, you don't have to have blind faith, stupid faith. I mean, it, you, know, you know what a trust fall is? You know, you hold your shoulders and you 
fall backwards and someone catches you? If I get up here to do it and we put two sixth grade girls behind me, I'm not doing it. The evidences aren't there. Now, if God speaks clearly and goes, do the trust fall now, we all hear him, I'm grabbing a hold and I'm going back. I'm not falling backwards with two sixth grade girls, but if I've watched them, these two sixth grade girls, because maybe they're cheerleaders or gymnasts or whatever, and they, they've, I've seen them catch some grown men over and over again, and I know that they know how to plant their feet and they know how to catch, all of a sudden the evidence is there, I'm much more inclined to do it, and that's okay. We're not talking about having blind faith. We're talking about having faith, and you can look for the evidences. So where do we find those evidences? Well, one, we find them in the Word of God. There's story upon story upon story that God has called people to do crazy things, and he showed up. So if God calls you to do something that's a little bit fearful, a little bit unclear, you can know that he shows up. So then you have to go, well, do I have faith in the Bible? That's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother time. But the evidences for the scripture being what it is, the word of God, are stacked extremely high. And if you struggle with that, then let me help you find some of those. There's gonna be some book reading you're gonna need to do to see that the, that the Bible is something that's trustworthy. But we can look at those evidences. We, we can... We can look at other people's lives. We can see how God showed up. And that's, that's really, at the end of the day, what it comes down to. If you're going to be spiritually mature, if you're going to live by faith, if you're going to have conviction in things that you don't really know how it ends, really what you're saying is, am I going to trust God or not? And I want to encourage you to look at people's lives as the evidences. Not, not people who claim to be Christians. People who are living a discipled life and see if God has shown up or not for them. Because the evidences are clear. Scripture's clear. The stories of faith in the past are clear. Is it hard? Yeah. It's hard for us to step out, trust something that we don't know, because we're people of evidences, not people of faith. But you only become a person of faith, a spiritually mature person, by doing it. Bottom bottom. Bottom line is, do you, do you trust God? There's a time in your life where you made a decision to follow Jesus. What, what you said was, God, I'm leveraging my life. I'm giving it all up because I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, that he was raised for the dead, and, the, and that the Holy Spirit of God is gonna come in and transform my life, and I'm going to follow you because I'm preparing myself for a future kingdom, I'm preparing myself for heaven. And so, God, I abandon this world for your world. I'm saying no to the things that the world says yes to because, God, the things that I believe in that are unseen, i.e. heaven, I'm living for that. Do you trust God or not? That's basically what it comes down to. And if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, then today's, today's the day. You know, I, I know tons of people who are going to spend eternity apart from God because they only had 99% of their questions answered. 1% of their questions, they ask, and we go, man, I don't know. And they go, well, I can't follow Jesus until I know that because we're people of, of answers. But at some point, your salvation to the rest of your story, at some point, faith will play a part, and you're going to have to step out and trust that what God has said is true. And here's what I want you to see as we close up. I'm gonna pray. I don't want you to miss the big picture here. Don't want you to miss what's happening. This event that happened between Abraham and Isaac, and Abraham had no clue at the time of what was happening. 
but it was a picture for you to see of someone's one and only son, the promised one, strapping some wood to his back and walking up a hill. Second Chronicles 3 tells us that the Temple Mount was built at Mount Moriah. I don't know if you caught that in the story, but Abraham and Isaac are sent to a mountain in the land of Moriah. This one and only son straps wood to his back and he climbs up a hill where he's gonna be sacrificed, most likely at the same place that Jesus himself, the one and only promised son who strapped wood to his back, was sacrificed. And the picture goes even further because God did not want Isaac to die because there was a plan for Isaac. But what was sacrificed in place? A ram, which is a sheep, which is also referred to as a lamb. The lamb of God was sacrificed on Mount Moriah. And there was a picture in Genesis back from the very beginning that was meant for God's people and for us to see that God said, when I say something will happen, the world being put back, me redeeming my people, it will You may not have all the answers. It may not happen in your timing. But if you'll step out in faith, you'll find spiritual maturity. You'll find that God does show up. You've got to live lives of faith. Let me pray for you.